Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome back to In My Heart, a podcast truly about all of the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Be sure to stay tuned after today's interview for Holla Back. That's my Q&A where I'm answering questions from my listeners, so be sure to stay tuned. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to In My Heart, a podcast truly about all the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. I am so excited to welcome my next guest, Fawn Weaver, an entrepreneur, a CEO, founder of Grant Sydney Incorporated, and CEO of Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey. I am so excited to have you. The minute I found out about you, Fawn, I was like, I've got to know more about this lady. And the more and more I dug, the more and more impressed and so inspired I really was about you. I mean, you're a really powerful example, I feel like, of accelerating growth in business without without losing your soul, as you say it, but actually feeding your soul. Yeah. I mean, you really have learned how to find that happy balance of life, work, family, and do it by not only losing your soul, but feeding your soul. I'd like to just start by talking about how you got started, just your discussing your background in business and a little bit about you. Yeah. So I left home really early. I was 15. I hadn't even turned 16. And I've always been bullheaded, like always. God bless my parents for dealing with me until I was 15, because I was that kid who questioned everything. And the the concept of, because I said so, (laughs) that worked on a lot of kids. I was not one of them. And so (laughs) everything got a follow-up question, which by the way, has served me incredibly well in business, right? I'm always asking and I'm always pushing. And and half the time and my team has caught on to this and they laugh. They're like, half the time you're asking questions, you actually know the answer already. You just want to see how we're going <laughs> to ask it, how we're going to answer it. And I, I used to do that with my folks, which just absolutely drove them nuts. And it, and it came to a head. The beautiful thing is, is that all of the experience that have happened from that point on, because I had to figure things out so young. I started my first company at 18 and it was a PR and special events firm because I went and sort of interned for about six months for a a really popular PR firm at the time in Los Angeles. And I'm interning and I take over two particular accounts, just sort of servicing them. And in a rather short period of time, both of these corporate accounts, having no idea how old I was, 
interesting with black women, we basically mature very quickly in terms of how we look. And then we just pause. Yeah. I don't understand it, but <laughs> I've, I've looked in my 20s since I was 18. <laughs> so I I'm a pre- that. I can I'm attest to that with my girlfriends. I'm always like, I feel look so old and you looked exactly the same as when we met. <laughs> Listen, there are a lot of things Black people suffered in this country and around the world. It is not a pretty thing at all. But let me tell you, what is pretty is that Black don't crack. We are very right. (laughs) The complexions are, you know, everlasting. (laughs) Yes. And we have natural SPF. It's a beautiful thing. But they, I looked a lot older and I carried myself a lot older and and more mature and, and confident from very early on. And so they said to me, both of the accounts individually said, hey, if you ever start your own PR firm, we'll go with you. So I did. Right on. They went with me. (laughs) Let's get started. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And so I was very young with two pretty big accounts. And that is just sort of how my journey began. And I learned very, very early on that I was just wired as a leader. Now I've done Myers-Briggs. I've done all of that to understand that my particular personality type, I mean, literally we were born, I am I, what is it? I-F-T-J, I think I have to go back. Whichever one is considered the rational mastermind. Yeah, there's less than 1% of us. And so now I understand, man, that must've been brutal trying to raise me. <laughs> but it, it has served me well in the rest of my life. But I think this, this thing that we're always propelling toward greatness, my, my particular personality type, that we can sacrifice our family along the way. We can sacrifice a lot of people along the way. And so I'm really grateful that I have a faith that centers me, that won't allow me to leave my family behind or not care for my people the way that they should be, not putting my team first. I'm really grateful that I have those two things that sort of balance each other out. Yeah, I think that that's such an amazing point. And the other thing that I thought was really cool is, so you launched your first company in 1996 and you went on to do some pretty big things and great things, but you decided to pivot at one point. And I thought that this was so wise of you that you decided to take a break of being from being the boss for a second and step back from being an entrepreneur. And you decided to be an employee. Yeah. Jump into the workforce as someone who was being led and not necessarily the leader. I thought that that was really wise and and just awesome. I'm so curious to hear about how did you know, did you have an aha moment or what was it that made you take that pivot? It is. It's so, it's actually quite funny. The backstory for that is I was in, I was a a partner in a restaurant. I launched a a celebrity chef in, in LA restaurant, did gangbusters out the gate, did really, really, really well. But the chef is a French trained chef. So if you think of Ramsey, right, with the throwing mm-hmm. of the pots and the cursing yeah. nonstop. Totally. And, and so that's normal among celebrity chefs. chefs that are French trained. It just is what it is. But one of the things, it, it, it was his normal personality I had no issue with. I understood it. But then I met my husband and yeah. I remember sitting him down, meaning the chef, sitting him down. I remember the exact moment, the restaurant, I sat him down in everything. And I said, listen, I said, I need you to understand. I get you. I understand you. uh, But the way that you speak to me at times is out of control. I fire back and I get it, but no man is going to stand by and let another man 
speak to their wife the way that you speak to me at times. And I will never forget his, his response. It was, so you telling me I'm gonna have a problem with this guy. (laughs) 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 And it just, and I, I mean, it was, that should have been the writing on the wall, but I did in fact, marry him. My husband of now almost 17 years, this will be our 18th year. Absolutely adore this man from that. I mean, just have the entire time. And it, it came, it did in fact come to a head. And so I had to walk away from that partnership and that business that I built on this chef's behalf. And, and ironically, I now have him, um, we, we partner on things with, with uncle Nears all these years later, which is fantastic. And he's actually the chef that is building out the menu at our distillery for the, the big bar that we're opening up there. So all things come back around full circle. And he's working with my husband to do it. So oh, that's amazing. And has around, he tempered right? his uh, French chef? Because, I mean, that we're talking some years back, and now that should have never been allowed, but now it really wouldn't be allowed. He'd oh, be absolutely in all kinds not. of trouble. Un- no, under no circumstances. But yeah. also, we have to remember where we were at that time, just the way that we allowed those kind of antics of celebrities, yes. right? Now with social media, with all these other things, you, you can't really do that and not get right. called out. But at the yeah. time, you just sort of chalked it off to us ah, what celebrities do, right? Yes. But, or that's generally speaking what chefs do. I mean, not only with celebrities, but chefs in general. You know what I mean? I worked in the restaurant business my whole life, and I, I just thought that was part of being the chef. You know what I mean? Well, here's the crazy part is chefs still do it because it's yeah. almost become a part of the persona, Right. right. Yes. Of, of a high profile chef as they throw pots, they say the F word a lot uh, type of thing. But anyway, it came to a head. And so all of a sudden I'm out of this venture that was taking my, I mean, you know, the restaurant business, right? Yeah. So it's 20 hours a day. It's nonstop. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden I have time on my hands and my husband, knowing my background at the time, I would have been working nonstop since I was 18 years old. And, and so he said, you know, I think you should just take a break. He is an executive at a movie studio. He still is, same movie studio. And he says, I think you should take a break because in his head, he thought about all the other movie execs with their wives who do lunching and yes. spa days and shopping. And so he was looking for that and, and thought that would be enjoyable to me. And I, I said, you know, I don't think I'm built to be able to do that, but I'll try. And I think I tried one day. Yeah. <laughs> and after that, I was like, this isn't going to work, but I wasn't planning on starting a new business. Right. And so I said, you know, let me just, let me do something. I'm not going to go back into business. And, and so I got into a conversation. This is, this backstory is so random, but I got into a conversation with my father who believed in the death penalty. I am opposed to it for one very simple reason. You can't reverse it if you've made a mistake. Yeah. And, and so I, I, I was adamantly opposed to it. And my dad and I had this conversation and I said, listen, there are innocent people that have died and he just didn't believe it. So I decided to go home and to Google and to find someone that was right. on death row who I believed was innocent and to help Wrong free means. them. So, Amazing. so like two weeks into my spa and shopping and relaxing, I have now hired private investigators, attorneys in Texas to go get this kid off of death row, which by the way, we did uh, get him off of death row. And, and it took a, a couple of years, but we did get him off death row. But about a week into it, Keith is like, what the hell just happened? Like you were supposed to be spying 
not hiring yes. private investigators. <laughs> so after that, we both concluded that I needed to work. It's how I am wired. And that's where that moment came where I thought, wow, I finally have an opportunity to not be responsible for the paychecks in mm-hmm. the families. And, mm-hmm. and in my head, I would be able to just put my head down at night and go to sleep and not yeah, have right. to think about anything. You know how that went, right? Yeah, right. Because <laughs> <laughs> so when you're wired of- the way you're wired, you just you get into that position and you care and the passion is, is unstoppable no matter Absolutely. what you do. Yeah, so I tried to go in at a position that would be low enough that I could have this freedom to just live and to just be. And I moved into leadership so fast. Yeah, climbed right up that ladder. Not asking. They they had to convince me every time. I'm like, guys, I literally want to be able to put my head down at night and just go to sleep. They're like, are you doing that anyway? You already work around the clock. And so as an employee, I was just like an employer and they recognized that. And then, you know, within... Within a few years, I was the general manager of a Hilton property hotel. So that, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then talk about not sleeping. And yes. Not, yes. Right. Uh, and so it was after that that I decided, you know, I, I'm obviously built to lead. I am built to be an entrepreneur. No matter who I go to work for, they're still going to put me in an entrepreneurial position, which is what happened. The hotel owners did not bother me at all. They're like, Fawn runs this ship beautifully. But what I did learn in that period of time, and it was the best lesson that I could have had going back into this, is I picked up what it was like to be a team member. Mm -hmm. And the type of boss I wanted as a team member is the boss I became. Yes. I'm not saying I do it perfectly. No. uh, But I I, I strive. The intention is there too. And, you know, exactly. Leaders make mistakes all the time. And I always say it's only a mistake if you make it twice. The first time it's a lesson. And we're all continually, hopefully, evolving and learning lessons and growing as individuals, whether we're leaders or whether we're part of a team. Yeah, absolutely. I have to... Just jump right into Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey. Yeah. Talk about an inspiration and how inspired I was to hear that you were inspired by a New York Times article to start this, your latest, greatest business. And I went and read that article. I went to find it. And I I wept, honestly, when I could cry right now reading it. It's, you know, I certainly have never been in a situation where anything like that has happened to me or anybody that I know is a woman of white, you know, privilege, but I went and did some work and I Googled about like the history of bourbon and the history of whiskey. And there ain't nothing about black you people. No, nothing about black folks and what their true, you know, stake in, you know, the whiskey businesses. And, you know, what I learned when I was reading is that we call, uh, or certainly people in the business call whiskey America's native spirit. Yeah. yeah. And how dare you call it that yeah. without telling the real story. So let's dive right in. Yeah. So it is, it, it's a, for me, it's a, it's a beautiful story because when you look at all of the other bourbons, all the other American whiskeys across this country, if they were founded any time in the 19th century or the 18th century, which many of them were, they had blacks working for free. They had enslaved people. And you, we don't have the benefit of knowing who they were, knowing right. their names, knowing anything about them. And then there is this one person whose name we know, whose legacy, because of the the research and the team of researchers we put on this, 
whose legacy we now know and are able to honor, and that's Nearest Green. He's the first known African-American master distiller. He was called a head stiller at that time. Now, whether or not he was the first, we may never know, because the only reason we even know Nearest Green and his sons, George and Eli and Lewis, who continued in, in the whiskey business behind him, and then his grandsons, Charlie and Ott, who continued. The only reason we even know who they are by name is because Jack Daniel, who Nearest Green mentored, was his teacher, was also his first master distiller, because Jack made sure that he credited Nearest and then Jack's descendants made sure they continued to credit Nearest and his boys. And and they were very clear in not just crediting them privately, but also in the press and, and, and making sure that we understood who was the first head stiller for Jack Daniel Distillery, but also they made sure that in the press, there's only one distinguishment between Kentucky bourbon and Tennessee whiskey other than geography. There's only one meaningful distinction, and that's a process called the Lincoln County process. You're taking that's a charcoal, right? Yeah, you're taking a traditional bourbon distillate and you're running it very slowly through sugar maple charcoal. Well, Jack's descendants made sure that when the press asked, where did this process come from? They were always very clear in crediting the enslaved people. You don't see that anywhere else in American whiskey history. Mm -mm. It's always credited to the white men who owned the enslaved people and who owned the distilleries. But in this instance, they were very clear in crediting, in writing a lot. And so it was a lot easier for us to be able to say, this is the legacy and to be able to prove it very easily and quickly because Jack's family made sure to do it. So for me, that Amazing. is so remarkable to know that even during those times, there were still white people who were good, even yes. in the South, even in a town called Lynchburg, that there were still those who believed in equality and believed in honoring and believed in respect and believed that love could be between people that were not of the same color. That gives me so much hope even for today. And so the story is remarkable. Our brand, Uncle Nearest, is obviously just doing absolute gangbusters. But what excites me most about this always is the story of this relationship of these two people yes. during the most unlikely time in the most unlikely place and our ability to gain not only motivation from that, but also instruction on how yeah. to treat one another and yes. how to make sure because you have a lot of bosses now who do not credit their team members. Oh and yeah. Something that my team regularly talks about is the fact that I'm, I'm constantly shifting attention to them, but there's a reason for that. That is how it should be. We should right. constantly be giving credit to the people that are the reason why these brands are growing. These companies are growing. It's never one person. It's always the team around them. And so that was something that I believe that Jack did really well. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we know who Nearest and his descendants are. I, I mean, so when I read the New York Times article, it didn't tell us all that. It certainly, you know, nobody knew. Nearest, nobody knew. And okay. this because of you that we found out more about it because I was able to read more. And I found out that Jack Daniels was Jasper Newton Daniel. Yeah. And that the story was that he learned the distilling process through a preacher, his preacher, a man called Dan Call. Well, it wasn't his preacher because 
Jack didn't have any. <laughs> Jack didn't go to church. Uh, although, ironically, he's a very giving man. So he literally gave to all of the churches in Lynchburg, but he wouldn't step foot in them. <laughs> oh, interesting. So, I, so I mean, you are so steeped in this history now. I mean, you built this business on it, but it was Nearest Green who worked for this preacher named Dan Call. Uh-huh. And he is actually who taught everybody. I taught uh, Jack Daniels everything he knew. And then I was looking at other, you know, other um, whiskey houses, some of the older ones as well, Beam, Maker's Mark, all these guys. And what I saw, I was able to find photographs yep. of Nearest Green or his grandsons maybe was in the in the pictures. I don't know if there's any of Nearest. I didn't, I don't remember what I saw. Mm-hmm. And who oh, you're was talking in about the, the photo with Nearest's son, George, next to Jack yes. Daniels? Yes. Yeah. So, so and where other pictures, they made the enslaved stand to the side, not giving them credit, not even acknowledging them. But in these photos, they sat elbow to elbow as yeah. in togetherness. And so do you know why, even though Jack wanted it to be this way, where did it get whitewashed, so to speak? And why didn't we know that from the beginning? Because yeah. it was out there at the beginning. Yeah. So when Jack was alive, he absolutely had black people around him, the greens around him all the time. There was no question as to the significance and the importance of the green family to Jack when he was alive. And then Jack didn't have any children. So his descendants are all through his siblings and through marriage. So in Jack passed away in 1910, but he was 1910 or 1911, but he turned over his distillery in 1907 to his nephew, Lim Motlow. And then before he died, He turned it over to his sons, his four sons. The entire time there was a Jack Daniel descendant at the top or on the board of Jack Daniel Distillery. That is Mm -hmm. until Gregor Motlow died in 78. Until that time, the story was always told. And it was told in a in a way that Nearest's grandchildren would actually show up at the distillery for tours with their friends so that their friends could hear about their grandfather. And and his great grandkids did the same thing. And so you had something where they were so proud to go to the distillery because they're talking about their granddad or their great granddad. And it was one of them that showed up in 1979, took some friends as she always had. And it was on that tour that she discovered it had changed. And I don't have an answer for why, but I can tell you, I've also not spent any time trying to figure it out. And the reason for that is, is it doesn't change anything. It doesn't help anything. And it doesn't add to the legacy of Nearest Green, which is the part I am committed to. That's right. Have you been thinking about maybe having your own podcast? Well, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First and foremost, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor, they'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple and many more. With Anchor, you can start to make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership as well. It's truly everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. So 1979, something changed. And when it was doing just fine the way it was, right, something changed. And then 
you find out about it through this New York Times article. So what was your first step? Did you go to Jack Daniels right away? Did no. you try to? Yeah, no. yeah, because I don't want to jump ahead, but you are, in fact, in arms with them today. And I'm really excited to hear about this foundation that you guys have partnered with. But I don't want to yeah. jump ahead because yeah. the story is too good. <laughs> we're, we're, we are in arms, not in business, but in a nonprofit yes. alliance. And I, and I always try to make that clear. Yeah. But that being said, at that time, my first thing was to get Jack Daniels' legacy, his biography, and to see how he treated this. And and I was immediately just the amount of hope that I was given, because this is 2016, the, the, at that time, the primary is what was going on, the election of 2016, mm-hmm. and it was a hot mess yes. with race being used as a wedge by both sides. I'm not letting either one off the hook because both sides were using race as a wedge and it got so ugly. And in the middle of all that going on is when I read Jack Daniels' legacy. And I'm like, were you like, were you like, oh my God, thank God. Were you so happy? I'm happy for you. I'm happy for all of us because of that. Well, I went to reading the book to see if even nearest would be mentioned, but I didn't expect him to be mentioned by name because it's, it's written in 1967, high of the civil rights era. Right. And so the person, the, the biographer was a journalist from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, a white guy who comes up to tell the definitive biography of the most famous American whiskey maker of all time, right? Right. Then and now, there's no reason for him to include nearest by name. So I was absolutely shocked to not only see nearest mentioned by name, but over and over and over again, referenced as the best whiskey maker. And then to have his son's also mentioned. And throughout the book, when you read it, we actually republished it for the 50th anniversary. I went to the children of the, of the journalists and they were more than excited to allow me to republish this book for its 50th anniversary. And it just, to me was amazing. Not only was he mentioned, but more times than Jack's own parents. That's the type of relationship they would have had to have had for Jack's descendants to have mentioned these, the Green family that many times. Yes. But it is a main storyline in his biography. That's, you're talking about a story that happened in the, in the 19th century, very early 20th century. No one was giving credit to enslaved people. Mm-mm. No one was giving credit to Black people at all. Mm-mm. And so to have this, what it said to me was that there is a relationship here And I concluded that it was one of love, honor, and respect. And the reason I concluded that is there were times in the biography, everyone here called Jack, Uncle Jack. And there were times in the biography where Uncle Nearest was given more deference than Uncle Jack. And the book was about Uncle Jack. Right, totally. totally. (laughs) So that was the first thing I did. And then I decided I wanted to come to Lynchburg and look into it myself. By then, I had known I'm likely going to do a book on this. Mm -hmm. I am likely going to then take that book and turn into a movie. And then I am likely going to do other things that are around the story. I didn't know what, so I just trademarked everything. Yep. And I learned a really good lesson. My first book is a New York Times bestselling book, and it it grew like it it just kind of took on a life of its own, had a, a, a club, a following of like a million 
people, over a million people. And when I went to go trade market, I couldn't because someone had something that was similar, albeit yeah. completely different. And I learned my lesson. If I'm going yes. to take on the research and do the work, I've got to have all of the trademarks, all of the online real estate, the URLs, the, the like all of it. Yeah. It's a running joke for Keith because he's like, babe, you have over 500 URLs. Why? I don't know. I might use some. <laughs> It's a good tip to you uh, entrepreneurs out there because you will only make that mistake once. Yes. And so when you have an idea, a lot of them can be acquired very inexpensively. And so yes. go ahead and, and gobble them up because you're going to need them someday, maybe. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and it's to me, the reason why I call it online real estate is it's a little bit like beach real estate. You only have so many shores. Once it's right. gone, it's gone. Right. right. And then and people so I, buy them up just because they'll read an article and they'll see a name and they'll go buy it for like 99 cents. Yep. And then just waiting for you to want it and yep. then have to come buy it, buy it back from them for like $9,000. Absolutely. More. Absolutely. So that was, that was the, the first step. And then when I got here to Lynchburg, I mean, the way that the town and Nearest's family and Jack's family, the way they rallied around bringing this story to the forefront, because they weren't the reason it disappeared. And so for them, there, there, there was no trying to hide it, depress it, suppress it. There was none of that. It was like, oh, you're going to tell the story. We want to help you out. And that's exactly what they did. And so oh, all- if I had a button of applause, like raw, raw applause, because we all need hope. We all so desperately need hope right now. And we do need to know that there are good people on both sides and that yeah, there people are. I and agree. I, I hope that we can find love. And this story is a story of love. And that's what, why it made me weep. It was, it was beautiful. You know what I mean? And, but it's not, but if you turn the page to some of the other distilleries, you're like, yeah, they had to be around, yeah. you know, they're not really open to it. And that's, I think one of the things that you are breaking down that barrier and you're giving people hope and you're telling a story. I hope you make a movie out of it, girl. I hope you do. Oh, yeah. It's our, it's already with one of the biggest studios. We just had to press, we had to press pause on what we were doing when COVID hit because the movie industry will not be the same on the other side of this. And I have no idea. I had always been adamant that it would be a feature film because I could have had it made on, on Amazon or Netflix or any of those yeah. really quickly and easily and had so many offers for that. But I've been adamant. This is a feature film. It belongs in the theaters. And now I don't know if we'll have any theaters. So <laughs> we so. will. We will. We'll be back. So, OK, so now let's fester. So you so how'd you figure out? Did it did you wake up in bed and go, I am making his whiskey? I'm going to make his whiskey. What was it? What happened? You know, I don't I don't think so. I think the way that my brain works, it's always doing four things simultaneously. And the whiskey one at first idea, yes, but I didn't want to raise the money and to do a successful whiskey brand, like what we're talking about, you've kind of raised like tens of millions of dollars. And I just didn't want to, <laughs> that's, that is the, I mean, that is the absolute truth. truth. I, I had done the research. I had looked at what it would take and had concluded I do not want to ask that many people for money, but it really came down to once we got here, there was no question we were doing it. There was literally no question. The way that things fell into place, it was always, always meant to be. Our head of whiskey operations 
is Jack Daniels in, in Lim Motlow, who I mentioned, this is his lineage. She was the head of whiskey operations for them. She was with Jack, the family business, Jack Daniels, for 31 years before she retired. She came out of retirement to be in that same role for Nears Green Distillery to make sure that what we put into the marketplace was the most award-winning, which it is, that it was the best, which it is. Which it is. I love, <laughs> I love, I'm a whiskey drinker. I love, you know, there's three things I drink. Well, there's four. I drink wine, beer, whiskey, and tequila. I'm not yeah. a vodka girl. I'm not a gin girl. Those are my yep. drinks. And I, when I found Uncle Nearest Whiskey, I was like, this is gold. I mean, it is so delicious and pure and smooth. And I love the product. Let me tell you what's wild. Because it was made by the best. (laughs) (laughs) What's wild is when we came into the industry, the, the number of women drinking bourbon, drinking whiskey was somewhere hovering around 30%. I mean, and it had climbed up to that, right? It had, yeah, had it used to be much lower, but it climbed up to about 30 by the time we came in. For Uncle Nearest, slightly over 50% of our consumers are women, which is amazing because we have nothing low proof. No. So Why it, do you think that is? I don't know. I think it's because we, we made sure to market to everybody. Right. We did not, coming into this, you, we were, of course, told we need to focus on white men because that is the majority of who drinks uh, whiskey. That's the majority of who drinks bourbon. And so that was what we were told and we ignored it. We marked that mold, baby. Everyone. Yeah. And we, we looked at it and, and, and said, what are the similarities between every race, between both genders? And that's what we targeted. We never targeted individualism of each of the groups of each gender that it was, what is the through line for all of them? And that's what we focused on. And so I think because of that, who would naturally come to a brand is who came to it because we essentially opened up the doors for everybody to come through. And so we're just watching that shake out. And it's pretty amazing to watch because it ironically, it falls almost identical to the population. Our our drinkers are about 60% white, about 40% minority. That is the population. It's about 50% women, 50% men. That is the, the population. population. <laughs> yeah. If you speak to them, they'll all come, right? Exactly. Okay, so let me ask you this question because I, I, what I'll just so I'm in the Berkshires right now, and my my favorite, my favorite store, the Domaini family, they've run this liquor store forever, and they're just such amazing people. And I go in there, and I'm like, do you know that you're not carrying the only uh, African American oh, founded? They're not carrying I, it. Yes, and so they're gonna. And oh my gosh. It, so I started to tell the story and I was like, and there, of course, you know, they've done, uh, they did like their own private label bourbons and stuff like that. They've done some stuff like that, even though they're just a, you know, distributor for other people's brands, but they were so excited by the story. And right away it sh- said to me, that's why the movie, like, how do we get the word out there? Because it does, it, it is important. It's a beautiful product, notwithstanding anything. It's a beautiful product. But I feel like the lineage, the story is such a big part of it that people that vote with their dollars, I want them to buy you. I want them to buy Jack Daniels because he was an honest, good man. You know what I mean? And it matters now that where we vote with our dollars and the brands that we decide to support. And I wholeheartedly believe that. I mean, with the World Wide Web, if you don't know, you should know. Yeah, I agree. But it's also it is also the case that it if you're talking about someone like a Jack Daniel or a Jim Beam 
or we've had uh, Johnny Walker. We've had more than 150 years of learning about each of those, those guys, right? Yes. Our brand came out three years ago. And so in terms of name recognition, it's through the roof for a three and a half year old brand. And already we're the fastest, literally, we are the best selling African-American founded spirit brand of all time. We're not just talking about whiskey. We're talking about all spirits. Right. And that's remarkable. We're the fastest growing independent American whiskey brand of all time. And so I think we're really getting out there. We yes. are, we're already in over 21,000 locations in all 50 States, which is insane for a three insane. and a half year old independent brand. Like, that and just- what do you, what do you think that is? It's obviously a combination of things, right? So you've got an amazing sales staff. You got people out there. You're but, but talk about the marketing and talk about, yeah. do you tell the story? And cause you don't see it on the shelf when you look at the bottle. So how no, do you know? So our, our, our focus is on the whiskey when you're looking at the bottle. It's on yeah. the whiskey, it's on the awards because the product has to be able to stand on its own. Yes. There's a lot of great and stories out there and they just don't have the actual product that matches those stories. And so for us, we always go whiskey first because we know we're going to be able to get to that person eventually to tell the story. But what we want to stand on its own is Uncle Nearest, because that's the only way that Nearest Green is still being talked about 200 years from now is that people are still buying it from the shelves and they're not buying it because of a story. They just, right. it's they gotta are. be. Yes. Yeah. Say my name. Right. Yeah, exactly. So that was the priority is to get his name that is on that bottle as a household name, because yes. eventually people will ask, what's the story behind this? Yes. And then all they have to do is Google it. And Lord knows it's not hard to find out. Once you press Google, it's, boom, it's right everywhere. there. And then Jeffrey Wright did that incredible, uh, that incredible short film for us telling the story of Nearest Green. And you go to nearestgreen.com and it's right there. So yeah. I think that there are still a lot of people who do not know who Nearest Green was his legacy, Uncle Nearest, but we're only three and a half years in. I assure you, 10 years into this, oh, we're going to we cover yes. a whole lot of ground. And I and I love that because I think the hair I think the people used to know the heritage as a brands, right? You know, yeah. like think look about Levi's and big, you know, these big name, like household names. Like we kind of knew that we know the story of Coca-Cola. We know the story of these things. Like and then there became so many brands that people stopped knowing the stories and people were just consumer hungry and, you know, gobbling up brands and it was price shopping and, you know, that kind of thing. And I think hopefully now we're back in a time where the brand counts. It matters. The stories matter. Yeah. Well, I just learned that Coca-Cola was started by a dentist like three weeks ago. So (laughs) I think that we're still, we're still learning in the irony of that, right? A dentist started a soda pop with cocaine. I mean, (laughs) I know, I know, right. I just knew Coca-Cola red bottle. And so this sort of goes back to what we were talking about. There's some people who are going to know the backstory of it, but I don't know the backstory of Levi's either. And that's an American institution forever. I'm a fashion girl. So that's maybe why uh, I know. (laughs) I think for some people knowing the, the story behind the brand matters for people like me, I care actually less about the story behind the brand. I care that the product is of excellence and that it's the best that I can buy out there. That's what I care about. And Me so too. I think what makes what makes consumers tick is different. And so we make sure that we are constantly sharing the legacy of Nearest Green, but we also move forward with the with an excellent product. 
first and foremost, because that's the only thing that's going to make sure it's still around. A hundred percent. I agree with you. One hundred percent. Here's my tick two. So my tick one is, does it speak to me from the shelf? Right. When I look at the label, when I read what it is, what I, you know, does it speak to me? But now tick two for me is I research the brand. I want to know how they give back. I want to know what they're doing. Because once I'm brand loyal, I'm brand loyal. Yeah. Like I, have, I get blinders on. If something's working for me, it's working for me. And I don't have to look right, left, and center. I, you know what I mean? I just, I, yeah. I know that it works for me. But what's changed for me is, you know, responsibility. I care about our planet, you know, things like that. Like, what are you doing to give back? Like, what's your story? And then I actually find brands that I might not have ever seen on a shelf of mine because I read about them like yours. And so I seek it out now. Yeah. The change of season is always a good time to start a new routine or turn over a new leaf. And I want you to care about the skin you're in and for Big Blue too. The essence of good skin, you know, it's steeped in nature. Combine that with top chemists and state-of-the-art labs and look no further than emergency. They are revolutionary in advanced skincare that incorporates clinically proven cosmeceutical and medical grade ingredients, active botanicals, and marine extracts straight from mother nature. It's the way I keep the best of me emerging and you can too. There's no picking and choosing what's right for you. All of Emergency's formulas use targeted ingredients that clean, tighten, purify, detox, soothe, hydrate, and smooth all skin types, including visibly problematic skin. Emergency has regulated my skin, improved its hydration and elasticity, and helped me fight the signs of aging and sun damage while improving my overall skin tone and texture. And it keeps me protected from future environmental aggressors too. And you can feel even better with their one-of-a-kind initiatives like the Buy One Plant One Tree Planting Program, their innovative Emerging Bees Bee Habitat Initiative, and Emerging Seeds. That's their organic vegetable program. Emergency is continually setting an industry-leading precedent for environmental initiatives and new technologies to ensure that no matter your environment, the best of you keeps emerging too. Go to emergency.com, that's E-M-E-R-G-I-N-C.com, and get on your way to nourished and rejuvenated skin today. So I just want to talk about um, the foundation that you founded, which offers full scholarships to every descendant of Nearest Green. And he's, for you guys who haven't figured it out by now, he's the world's first known African-American master distiller. So I just want you to quickly discuss the incredible work that you've done this year. You've inc- you've donated more than 3 million N95 and cloth masks to workers and frontline people. And you've done so much and diversity in the spirits industry forming this alliance with with Jack Daniel Distillery to create a foundation nearest and Jack Advancement initiative to elevate people of color within the American whiskey industry and increase diversity in spirits overall. I mean, really just my hat's off and my heart is so overflowing with you, Fawn. So can you talk to us a little bit about those two things? Yeah. So the nearest and Jack Advancement initiative in the, in the, the easiest, quickest way possible is that it has three arms. One is the nearest green school of distilling that we are funding here and underwriting here at the Motlow state college. It irony is, is the land for the reason why it's called Motlow is the land for that was donated by Reger Motlow uh, of Jack's family. And that particular school, when that 
when that is comes out, I believe it's this fall, it will be the first time that there is a, a distilling degree, that there is an accredited degree in distilling, and it is in the name of Nearest Green, and it is specifically to find women and people of color. So that is that. And then we have the business incubation program, and that is coming alongside other African-American Black-owned spirit brands in the industry that are already out, but are just just surviving in really taking them and lending them our resources, both us and Jack Daniel Distillery, and and lending our various resources in order to help them to grow and to thrive. And then we have our business incubation program that's not actually alongside Jack Daniels. We just started doing that separately because even though the business incubation program can only take one or two at a time because of how we do it, we found that there were dozens of Black-owned spirit brands that really needed help. And so we just began helping whichever ones called us. And right now, I think we're helping 14 or 15 different ones, whether it's with branding or PR or capital raising or helping them with their business plans, whatever they need, then we're helping them with it. And then the the third prong of the Nearson Jack Advancement Initiative is the apprenticeship program, the leadership apprenticeship program. One of the things that I found in the industry is it's hard to be what you can't see. And there was very little leadership among the top ranks in any of the any of the spirit brands. And so we really began making it our mission to find African-Americans, Black people that were already in the industry that had the ability, if given the choice and the option and given the path to get there, they would thrive in those types of leadership roles. And, and so our apprentices, what they are doing is absolutely remarkable. And and I can't wait to start seeing them go into leadership roles. The first one finishes her apprenticeship at the end of this year, and she already has the leadership roles laid out for her. The offer is already there and she begins in January. So it's that whole, that saying, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? We are taking as many bites from as many spots as possible. and, And I think that we are going to make a significant change in this industry in our current generation. Oh, I know you. I know you will, and you already are. I mean, what an unbelievable inspiration you are! So, can I just have your social handle? So, yes. um, where can we find you? Where can we find Nearest Whiskey? Yeah, you can find our handles are at Uncle Nearest on all things, and just look for the blue check mark. And at Fawn Weaver on all things again, look for the blue pet check mark. And our website is UncleNearest.com. It's N E A R E S T dot com. Thank you so much for your time. Cheers. Amazing. Thank you. Welcome to Hollaback. This is the part of my podcast where I answer all of your questions. My next question is from JKOF621. And they say, hi, I wanted to ask which Rossuticals product helped your son with his acne? I have terrible acne on my chin and cheeks. Jackie Kaufman. Well, Jackie... I know help right, is right around the corner for you with the Rossuticals product. It, the range really helped Jack so much, and it's a go-to for me. So it's a system. And for you, I want you to start with that clean cleanser, massage that really well into your face. You can either use it wet or dry. You'll read the package when it comes. And then get the raw cloth. That's going to be your washcloth. That's what you're going to use with it. Then I want you to really, truly believe in the red berry dual mask and gommage. 
It's a fantastic product. And I would let that sit on Jax's face for like 30 minutes even, sometimes more. And I would do it twice a week. And it really cleaned his pores and it really soothed the you know anger in his skin and calmed everything, uh, took away the redness and cleaned those pores. So I did that twice a week. Again, that raw cloth is there to help smooth that away, take it off, clean it off. Then the Salvation Serum comes next. If you can get that product, then the raw oil comes after that. That's the raw face oil. So I don't use the raw face oil um, and I don't use the serum every time on Jack's. I would do it kind of in between depending on what his skin looked like. I need more moisture at, at my age than he does. And if you have to pick one, I would say pick the raw face oil. So that clean cleanser, that red berry dual masking homage, and then finish up with the raw oil for moisture. And if you can get the serum, it is truly salvation. And that's what it, what it's called, the salvation serum. I hope that helps. I know it's long-winded, but I want you to know that help is right around the corner and you keep shining. Let me know how you do. Thanks for your question. In My Heart is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson, Karen Silverstein, and Heather Thompson. The show is edited by Maureen Vigas. You can follow me on Instagram at I am Heather T. See you next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.